In the Peruvian Amazon, a group of about 20 people are working at an extraction site. They're wearing rubber boots and long rubber gloves. They're not employed here. In fact, the plant has been completely abandoned by the company who runs it. The people are locals, volunteers, living in the indigenous communities inside the Lot 192, Peru's largest extraction site, where numerous companies have been extracting oil for decades, with no regard to the devastating consequences. One of the oil pipes is leaking and the oil is spreading. Armed with black plastic buckets and bags, the volunteers are doing their best to limit the damage. But it's an uphill battle. Through the course of two days, they collect 800 bags filled to the brim with oil. They fix the 50-year-old broken pipe the best they can. The grounds are safe, for now. Not long after, there's another leak, and this time there's nothing to be done. It started to rain, and the downpour will wash the crude oil into the River Tigre. That river runs directly to the villages. You are listening to the Zero Tolerance Initiative podcast. Through this series, we seek to explore, understand, and give a voice to indigenous communities, environmentalists, and human rights advocates. These are the very people on the front line, holding companies and investors to account for the extractive industries damaging their culture, livelihoods, and threatening their very existence. These are the people fighting for fairer global supply chains, who in the process, risk everything. In this episode, you'll hear about the Doce de Octubre community in the Peruvian Amazon. This is a community who for decades have been fighting for their land, their environment, and their basic health. Oil contamination has had a devastating impact on the community. They're fed up of being ignored by the state. They want to be heard, and they want the companies responsible to clean up, because the oil is killing them. Doce de Octubre is a Quichua indigenous community based in the Amazon, more specifically in the Loreto region, and is part of OPECAFPI, a federation of indigenous communities affected by the extractive activities in the Lot 192. They live by the River Tigre, the village's source of both food and transportation, the basis for a way of life led in close connection with nature. But their livelihood has been contaminated. How many years have companies come here and affected our territory? And who are the most affected? It's us, indigenous people. Us who live here in the Doce de Octubre community. The woman speaking is Rosa Dahua, one of the leaders of the Doce de Octubre community. She's talking to us through a distorted connection. She's had to travel far to be able to reach us. She can't access the internet in her own village. Traveling at this moment, by the way, is not without its dangers. The global coronavirus pandemic has reached Peru. And though it's already infecting the Amazonian communities, Dahua wants to prevent it from reaching Doce de Octubre. But Rosa Dahua had to go. She needs to get her message across. Her people are already sick, not from COVID-19, but from oil contamination. When oil pipes from the plant at Lot 192 burst and break, the oil spreads to the River Tigre, the river that provides the village with their basic means of survival. The river that local communities have relied on for generations. 
Many of us are probably full of lead. And who will cure us? No one. The majority of us are full of lead. Who knows for how many years now? Many of us have colics, or to say it even more clearly, we have diarrhea. Most of us have stomach aches. Why? Because they're messing with the river, and we drink from that river. Where else will we drink from if not from that river? Like many of the communities in the Lot 192, Dothe de Octobre is a secluded village. The people here have lived an insulated life, according to their customs and traditions. But with the extraction of oil and the consequences of the spills, the community's way of life is dying, and so are the people. One person who has seen the devastating consequences up close is Miguel Lavano. Working locally in the region for Oxfam in Peru, he's a member of the Work Group for Oil Spills, a part of the National Coordinator for Human Rights in Peru. He reads and writes reports on this area, all documenting the harsh realities of the extractive industry. In, in, el, in estas comunidades del lote 192, incluyendo el 12 de octubre, in these communities in Lot 192, including the community of 12 de Octubre, toxicological and epidemiological studies were carried out on people, on animals, water, and the ground. In the analysis made, very high levels of heavy metals were found. These generate a series of consequences and damages for the people's health, for the population in general, but most of all, they are more damaging for the women's health. They generate cervical cancer and they damage the pregnancy, the fetus. Because of the low defenses of the women and the iron deficiency, it exposes them to other health problems. There are different injuries to the people affected, especially in the physical and cognitive development of children that are exposed to these metals. When the river is contaminated, everything is affected. Drinking water, fish, agriculture, all the basics the people need to survive. So the villagers have no choice but to consume the contamination and get sick. The oil spills have been a source of conflict ever since the Peruvian state first allowed oil extraction in the area in 1971. That was the same year that Rosa Dahua was born. For 50 years, Different companies have been extracting oil in Lot 192. And with every company, the same issues occur. Old pipes and poor maintenance are causing more and more oil spills. Legally, the companies are obliged to control oil spills, and should one occur, they're supposed to clean it up to prevent environmental damage. But the companies are turning a blind eye to the problems. Sometimes they cover the spills with dirt and leave it at that. If state monitors discover contamination and spills, the company can be fined. But the cost of a fine doesn't match the costs of an oil spill cleanup. And so in the end, the damages are ignored. Fines are paid, and the oil drillings proceed. Although there have been protests demanding that the companies take responsibility and protect the surrounding nature, Rosa Dahua and her community have watched on as the problems get worse. According to Miguel Lovano, the problems escalated when a new government was instated 20 years ago. After 10 years of dictatorship, the country started a new institutional recovery, and with it, drastic economic changes were introduced. 
In that process, one of the necessities of the new government is economic growth, and part of that growth is attracting private investment. Projects start to grow, they double, they triple the projects in mining and oil. And there we start to see the increasing conflicts within the communities. Today, Miguel describes Peru as an extravist country. That is a country where the state's main financial focus relies on the extraction of resources for export. And being a developing country, they now depend economically on the profits of extravist industries. And the ones paying the greatest price for this development are the indigenous communities. One of the problems with this economic growth is that it does not fulfill the obligations of the international framework of free, prior and informed consent on the projects. The communities are not consulted, and this is one of the main demands of indigenous communities, that the state should consult them with what it's promoting. This is the core of the issue. The indigenous communities want to be consulted when new companies come and interfere with their lands and lives. But instead they're being ignored and new deals are brokered for their ancestral land without involving them in the process. Many of the communities are not completely opposed to the extractive industries. They can create jobs and infrastructure. But the community isn't seeing any prosperity. Instead, it's caught in an unwanted dependency on the very companies causing the problems. They're getting sick, but are not provided any modern medicine. They're told they can claim their rights, but they have no access to schools to teach their children what they are. Community members have had to travel for days to connect to the internet, making it even harder for them to educate themselves on their rights and recent developments. So if there's an emergency, they can't contact anyone from outside. So if I had the private international entrepreneurs listening, I would say to them, please support us with this. We feel abandoned and forgotten. I have grown up here. My origin is here. Here is my home and I have a lot of experience. They don't even say that they are sending medicine for this or medicine for that. We don't have anything. We have nothing for the colic. We don't have paracetamol, not even aspirin. And that's just not okay. At least these corporations should donate some medicine. But not even that. We don't even have drinkable water. We only have water for washing our things, but for drinking we need to collect water from the rain and from the river. As if they had not come here and created this mess. It is regrettable how they treat us, the natives. We are also Peruvian. In Peru, it's not indigenous citizens, but the big foreign extractive businesses that are being prioritized by government officials. And big business invests its money where it can put it to strategic use. Miguel Lavano has seen several examples of companies financing everyone, from national congress members to local community leaders, all to promote the interests of the companies themselves. Since a lot of this is legal, it's not officially corruption. Instead, Miguel Lavano calls it a capture of the state. There is a big pressure coming from not only the companies, but also from the right-wing sector to continue in that path and promote also the flexibilization of policies relating to the requirements regarding the environment, the social perspective, the paying of taxes, which all benefit extractive industries. Communities like Doce de October don't have the connections or means to make their voices heard. 
when they do try to address these issues or claim their right to free, prior and informed consent, they're often ignored or made empty promises. But the communities are fighting back. When the corporations affect environmental rights or social or health rights, sometimes with a lack of presence from the state, it is the communities who have to reveal through protests what is going on so that this can be recognized. This is where the conflict starts, in the context of a breach. So when the government doesn't protect its people, the people protest. Across the country, in the Amazon jungle and the Andes mountains, indigenous communities of Peru take to the streets, rivers and forests to assert their rights and break through the government's wall of silence. Throughout the years, there have been numerous protests, some lasting a few days, some for weeks or even months. Sometimes, communities, coalitions and organizations have managed to be invited to Lima to state their case to the government. Some have even had politicians come to their communities in order for them to see the devastation in person. And the message coming from the indigenous communities has been clear. The protests weren't just about jobs or financial compensation, a claim many in Lima had made against the communities. It was about the deep and devastating consequences that decades of oil spills had caused. It was about preserving ancestral ways of life and securing a future for their children. In some cases, the protesters' demands did seem to be met. New agreements made many concessions meant to hold companies responsible, to promise compensation to the affected communities, and for continuous dialogue and consultation between the companies and locals regarding new contracts and extractive licenses. Laws that to some extent were already in place, but hadn't been followed by companies or monitored by governments. But it's been the same old story. Today, the Apu, Rosa Dahua, walks among her community in Dothe de Octobre, and she doesn't see much change. The companies keep drilling, polluting the forest and the river, with little regard for the consequences. And some will say that we are well treated, that we are attended to by the private corporations that enter our lot. That is not the case. The corporations have never tried to listen to us. If we don't spend a night out here in the rain, in disputes, protesting, we are not able to achieve anything. Between the protests, the Dothe de Octobre community tries to salvage what they can. The group of 20 people, voluntarily collecting oil by the extraction site, have work ahead of them. The companies still don't recognize the majority of contaminating spills. This means they don't take action to clean up the mess. In fact, Miguel Lovano tells us that Dothe de Octobre have been accused of causing the spills themselves. It's been claimed that the community has been sabotaging Lot 192 in order to receive money for the redress. But this is not about money. This is about survival. Rosa Dahua is infuriated by the lack of action from the companies. Her entire life she's heard excuses and no action. And meanwhile, their living situation is getting more dire for every year they live with contamination. How many elders are dying? contaminated, how many children are affected. All of us are affected by this contamination. Still the work continues. 
as well as taking on the fight with Frontier Energy and Plus Petrol, two of the multinational oil companies that have extracted in the area in recent years. This is something they've been trained to do, and Miguel Lavano is part of the working group that supports indigenous communities in this task. A big percentage of the affected areas that have been recognized by the state and who demand from the companies Plus Petrol and La Frontera that they remedy, redress and compensate, these are areas that the monitors have identified. Had the volunteer monitors not been working in the area, a lot of the contamination would not have been discovered. The company Plus Petrol has only recognized 40 damage sites from their time working on Lot 192. But indigenous monitors have identified more than 1,200. Today, the Dutch Argentinian company has announced its liquidation. What does liquidation mean? It means that the company will disappear, and with their disappearance, they will no longer fulfill their environmental obligations. And the state will have to fulfill this, which means millions will go into this issue of redressing. Plus Petro, which was supposed to follow the environmental obligations, never remediated the damage they had done. Now, having announced their liquidation, it is clear it will be the Peruvian people who have to pay for the cleanup. Since 2015, a Canadian company, Frontier Energy, have been extracting oil at Lot 192. And the story is the same. Indigenous monitors identified a hundred or so more cases of oil spills and industrial waste dumping. Again, the local communities have tried to document these sites and send evidence to the local government, but there has been little to no response. The day after we talked to Miguel Lovano, Frontier Energy abandoned Lot 192 completely. Again, without remediating the damaged areas. And they might be back. A new lease of up to 40 years is out for tender, and Frontera is one of the bidders. There is still a lot of work to be done. But for organizations who work with communities in the Lot 192, valuable lessons have been learned. The monitoring system run by indigenous groups has been vital in the fight for communities like Dothe de Octobre. With organizations supporting the communities, teaching them their rights, and training them to monitor extraction sites, more indigenous groups have new, concrete tools that make it harder for both the government and corporations to ignore them and violate their rights. Lovano and his colleagues have been eager to share this lesson internationally. So that is why we think that it is important that the organizations that are present in the areas of extraction take on a monitoring role. So, for example, we are now coordinating with organizations in Africa for them to know the monitoring work. In Africa, they are constructing the biggest pipeline in the world. Therefore, we are coordinating with them so that they know about this work. We are doing the same with organizations in Colombia. So this is about strengthening the organizations that are hosting us, but it's also about socializing and sharing the monitoring work so this can be carried out in other places. The indigenous communities around Lot 192 are coordinating, joining forces to amplify their voice and exchange experiences. The same is happening at both a national and international level. By working together, communities and organizations become a force to be reckoned with.
one that can't be ignored. And this is what Rosa Dachua wants, to finally be heard. What I want, as a leader and as a mother, as an indigenous dweller of my community, is for the international representatives, for all the NGO entities, to listen to us. For them to listen to our petitions, our complaints, our suffering that we as indigenous people are facing. You've been listening to the Zero Tolerance Initiative podcast. In the next episode, we'll examine the chaotic circumstances faced by indigenous groups in Myanmar. This podcast was produced by Amanda Boyville on the initiative of the International Work Group for Indigenous Affairs. My name is Max Ribeiro. Thanks for listening. Thank you.